And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to Financial Fitness Friday. I'm Rich Rosso, CFP, with Danny Ratliff, CFP. Welcome. We appreciate you being here with us this morning. It was great being here yesterday with the professor, Michael Leibowitz, talking all things Fed. And uh, he's just a wealth of information, isn't he? He is, no, no doubt. If you want to know something about the Fed, what's going on, Bonds. Fed minutes, Mike's your guy. I had an idea yesterday that we would film a video of Mike to the Bond, James Bond theme. Dun, 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 dun. But then, like, you focus on a Lamborghini, and then the Lamborghini pulls away, and so behind that is Mike's Honda. Oh, okay. And he gets out of his car and wait, just waves to you like the... Like the good dog guy from next door. Hi, everybody. I'm the Bond guy. And everybody's like, oh, my God. He's not getting the chicks. This Bond guy isn't going to get him. But he does. He does because he knows math. Would he be in a cardigan sweater? That would be bad. Yeah, that would be good. Nah, no, Mike. Probably not. He's in a Land's End vest. <laughs> North face. Yeah. Now you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> I've done enough Zooms with Mike to know he's probably about right. And you go, this is the new bond, right? <laughs> we took a calculated risk. And you know what the first Bond movie with him in it would be called? Convexity. <laughs> Ooh, sexy. I like, I like that, yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, great conversation. He has a great article out. Uh, about bonds and interest rates and the national debt. Sort of depressing. Actually very depressing. But lots of great data. I was telling Mike yesterday, I said, I think part of our problem here at RAA is we're more beer than foam. And it seems like the whole world is locked into the foam. That's how things trade. That's what people do. You know what? People have always traded on narratives and emotions. But now it seems like that foam is a lot thicker. But we're always going to dig deep into the, de the details, right? We'll look at momentum. That's, that's a given. But to keep a level head and to help you understand that we understand the underlying dynamics, it's important for us to maintain that standard and continue to do it. Yeah, I find it interesting, especially look at his articles, you know, th yeah. there's been such a big push on how bad the debt is, which it is. It's extremely bad. Um, you know, this country spends more and more uh, but he breaks it down and, and looks mm -hmm. at it historically, and it actually paints a little bit different picture where it's still not great, but what the most of the headline news is suggesting, it's probably not quite there yet. It does make you feel better because in some way, because even though, I mean, because he's looking at in relation to GDP, obviously it is an interest rate problem. What, I'm, what I mentioned to him yesterday, which I'm concerned about, though, is there doesn't seem to be any ability or willingness for Congress to want to look at this issue and spend time with it to say, here's what we really need to do. 
to make things better and rein in spending. Well, right? the, the problem is uh, nobody holds these guys accountable. No. They lie it to It doesn't matter. Yeah. And it, it's not their money. Right. So at what point do they have to be held accountable for their actions? They're, they're not. We continue to elect them. And everybody says, oh, there's no better choice. But I don't know. But you're right, though. Without, without the accountability, I mean, there are things that Congress would say to, in, a, in a room alone that they wouldn't let anybody else know. Now they're pretty much vocal about really not being accountable and what are you going to do about it? You know, it's pretty much that now. What are you going to do about it? Because of the low information voters we have out there. So, but, so Mike, we, we, we'll continue to break this thing down overall. So yesterday, I mean, this is uh, day two or three of the um, Climate Change Summit, which has been interesting to watch some of that. Um, and uh, Bill Gates is very, very concerned that in next decade we won't be here anymore. And he's looking for encouraging climate solutions. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously um, that may include Danny having a bug butter on or cr uh, cricket butter on his toast this morning. When did Bill Gates become Al Gore's <laughs> protege? I mean, seriously, I and the know. foremost expert on on this stuff. Look, he's a very smart man, but he's also buying millions and millions of acres of farmland. Right. Um, chopping down trees to get carbon credits. So if you're that concerned about it, is it about the money or is it about the earth? It's big business, Danny. Right? You well, got to think is. about it. it. It's such the narrative. The science is at the bottom of the list. It's big business. We exposed years ago how ESG was a farce. Not the noble method of wanting to do those things. In other words, not the ability to want to make sure you're doing things right for the environment and society and the governance. But the big business behind that just to rip everybody off, right? Look at what the auto dealers are saying about EVs. Listen, we've got to slow the roll. We're not selling them, right? You're pushing stuff on the private sector. But at this cop, they kept talking about um, how they're going to continue that the private sector has to bear 80% of the weight to turn things around, which means that you may go without lights, a car, right? You may have uh, Beetlejuice for breakfast. Not the real, not the movie Beetlejuice, but actually Beetlejuice. <laughs> I mean, it's beyond ridiculous. We exposed so, the ESG farce, right? Yeah, I'm not going to waste time on that, that conference. No. Is that seriously what they're talking about? Yes. And I'm sure they, they will raise them and sell them to you. Yeah, there was a talk about that. And then they're doing a $30 billion to a new climate-oriented fund. The United Arab Emirates, Emirates, uh, Emirates is looking at this. BlackRock, Brookfield, TPG, all these launch partners that are going to put $250 billion in investment by 2030. So developing nations of Latin America, Asia, Africa, Oceania, and only to foster private investment in climate-related projects. So, so you look at where the, where the money goes, but when you look at those stocks, 
if you've owned solar stocks, if you own wind, right? Look at some of the ETFs, TAN and, and PBW, uh, the, the, the Wilderhill, Wonderhill, Wilderhill, what is it? Wilderhill Power Clean Energy Fund, whatever it is, power shares. You're getting your hand, handed to you, right? So, and investors are not as enamored with it. And this comes up to what I wanted to, you know, get to. And we'll talk about your passions and investment. And also we're going to talk about, you know, those financial ghosts that sort of rattle around your house in December. In Brent's case, it's his pipes. But for most people, it's other stuff. We'll get, we'll be right back. news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com i think one exciting area of investing is thematic investing and i know everything in on wall street is marketing your goal is to get through that as an investor and really be serious about how you allocate money within your portfolio. So I, I call it blending old school, new school, right? And I, and I think for younger investors, this is probably more attractive. Um, as you age, sometimes you don't want to, you know, I don't really care about robotics. I don't know, understand technology or, uh, yeah, but, that doesn't mean you couldn't or shouldn't. I'm not, I don't have any ageism, ageism issues. I think you should, regardless of your age, keep an open mind. So what, um, I meant to talk to Lance about this, but as we wrote about ESG, I'd like to see him write a little more too about these thematic investing uh, issues. And these are, again, these are top-down macro issues, geopolitical technical trends, and they encompass these long-term kind of goals, new technologies, changes in consumer tastes and behaviors, right? And it has the, the ability to change the whole industries, how we live, how we work, how we travel, everything we do, right? And you are starting to see more of these thematic offerings by big firms, cybersecurity, blockchain economy, smart security and defense, fintech, uh, future mobility, um, ex extreme weather, <laughs> if that's your thing, um, all, you know, space exploration. So I think it's important for you to keep abreast of these things overall and it add, will add possibly some refreshment to your portfolio. But again, God, be careful. You got to look at, well, what stocks are in this? Do I believe in this theme? Do I see the vision of this theme? Have I read a couple of books about it? 
then I have to figure out what am I going to pay for that? Because of course, thematic means more money out your pocket to the providers of these investments. And then how much of my portfolio do I want in this theme? These are rules you would have to come up with for thematic investing. Some firms are starting to create thematic portfolios to capture your dollars. So here's my money, and you pick the themes, Wall Street, right? Again, Wall Street is the best at marketing, the finest marketers. They have an amazing ability to know what consumers want, and then they are very happy within 24 hours to give it to you. They cut up the same animal in the same way all the time with a different package. It's like Brent coming in here every day wearing a different wig. It's still Brent. Right. Although I'd like to see you in one of those like uh, kiss, like Gene Simmons, long hair <laughs> kind of wigs. Do I have to paint my face too? No, 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 uh, no. I think you could enhance your character here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's a bad idea. Maybe, you know, it's all about every imaging. other Friday, or we'll do like yeah. the first Friday of the month. <laughs> you, Brent will have a new wig, maybe depending on the band. Depending yeah. on the yeah. band, it's all about imaging and branding. <laughs> but it's yeah. still the same Brent, <laughs> right? I don't know. Could does this have Brent that like ego. does this Brent with the long wig like candy corn? No, <laughs> no, broccoli steamed. Uh, so. You know, just keep that in mind. I mean, uh, and you go into and listen to this climate summit. Some of the stuff makes me laugh. Listen, I'm not. To, I'm not. A, I am not a climate denier, right? I, I read enough books from all different sides of it to understand there's there's climate disruption. The fact that we can change any of it is is a bit weird. Um, and I'm telling you that if we're all eating bugs, the people who are creating all this stuff, they're not eating bugs. All right. So Look, we're not all going to be eating bugs because we're not going to be able to sell the the pills, the fat loss, weight loss pills, right? They're not going to be able to do all. Oh these no, things. that's right. Never because we'll be we'll get all leaned out, and then why do you need? Then you might not even need pharmaceuticals anymore. Yeah, you wouldn't need a half the stuff we we need now. Yeah. It's just uh, you know. Again, I would love for one of these guys who's so adamant about this to go on this diet for an extended period of time and let us let us research, do the study on them. I mean, if you've got that much faith and conviction, where are you getting this data from? Let's see you do it. I, I totally agree with you. You go first. Put your mouth where your money is, guys. Come on. Go ahead, Climate Crockett. You go first. Okay? Because I'm going to be like the kids and the, ma and the women. I want you all to be the kids and the women at the Alamo, hiding when it comes to this stuff. So... It's important, again, you're going to get hit consistently now more than ever with new products, new exciting themes, same old stuff. Sometimes the plain stuff, like Charlie Munger passed away, and um, Charlie Munger's always looked old. Like when he was 50, he looked 90. When he was 90, he looked 90. Now at 99, he looks 99. I mean, the guy, some people just look old, right? So... Um, they stick to their knitting. 
they they go out and they finally they're hesitant to maybe look at other things that are tech related or whatever at time, but they understand the mania. A couple of segments from now we're going to talk about. Yesterday I talked to Mike about some of the magazines, the magazines of Wall Street. I have about a hundred of these from the Great Depression era. Richard Wyckoff was one of the best traders on Wall Street. He created this magazine. Then then he lost this magazine to in a sensational divorce trial to Cecilia Wyckoff, his wife, who went by C. Wyckoff on the cover going forward so that nobody really understood that a woman was an editor of the magazine of Wall Street. I've read about her life. I always wanted to write a script about her because it was really, she was revolutionary on Wall Street, but yet she kept it the best kept hidden secret. A lot of great articles in the 60s about her in the New York Times and so forth. So when you think you're not doing the same things over and over again and getting sucked into investments you shouldn't, that's been around for an eternity. And I'll, I'll share some of the, the insights Danny's been going through. Is that a pretty fascinating magazine, isn't it? Oh, it is. You know, I always love going back through these old, old magazines. You know, we talk often about like how you can go to the Time magazine, look at the covers. But, you know, this one here is from, what, June 16th, 1928. Yeah, Brent was just coming out of the... Um, at a kindergarten and um yeah but but there's just so much great information in here and some of it's so, still so relative and pertinent to the time that we're in you know when you look back yeah. at just how some of the articles are then you look at some of the the sales pitches right which you would see in a lot of these other financial magazines <laughs> right and you, and you think about the time right if somebody was actually doing some of these at that time i mean they lost their shorts yeah um, Do you notice how the writing is just more robust, thicker, more intellectual? Um, there's not less fluff. bias. There's no fluff. No, there's no fluff. There's no fluff. Even the syntax is it's, so it's much better. Serious. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we've gotten so far away from that. Because it, you realize how far away we've gotten from some of the articles written here, especially by people who were in Congress at the time who actually understood. And I'm not even talking about the president. I'm talking about a lot on the administration, the administration, business and financial conditions, and they were respected as such because they did. These were business people who wanted to give back and share their expertise with the citizens. And there was a respect. There was a density. There is a, it was an intellectual overtone. It's not. It wasn't. It wasn't about dumbing it down. It was about intellectualing it up in these magazines. But the trends in these magazines have, will show you how when you think it's really very different, it's not different at all. And No, this was, but the writing is so different. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. I mean, I can give you a couple sentences here. Go ahead. Like income suffered a sharp falling off in the subnormal 1921 year, followed by substantial recovery in subsequent years with wider diversification and activities contributing largely to earnings stability in later periods. Mama, to, Danny broke my brain. Due to exceedingly keen competition resulting in narrowing profit margins. I mean, you get the point, right? Yeah, I get I mean, back then people talked with intelligence. Right. They wrote with that. They didn't have to fluff it up with all of these additional things. And I mean, look, I think we're all guilty you of go it. With, you, go on, you go on the Harvard campus and read that, they'll call you racist. <laughs> go ahead. No, but, I'm just saying. But I mean, it's it, a great sentence. It, it, it yeah. is. I mean, and that's just, I just literally pulled that out <laughs> of the middle of an article. Um, 
there's a, a fundamental aspect to all of this, and that illustrates a higher level of basic education that mm. people had at that time, and it shows in the writing. It does, yeah. It absolutely We're does. We're not getting that today. No, I want to go back and see how old this person was when they wrote this. They were probably like 12. <laughs> I'm thinking they were probably in their 30s and 40s, yeah, even no, though you I'm may kidding. think that they were in their 80s and 90s. No, that's a great point. Yeah. I mean, it, it is just the way it is, right? Um, so everything's dumbed down, but what hasn't dumbed down is the ability for Wall Street to sell you something and for your emotions to take you into places you don't want to go with your funds. So this is not even something we were going to talk about today, but I just thought with the magazine and thematic investing, because it's something I research, um, we would talk a little bit of that. We're going to definitely hit up on the financial ghost, financial planning, personal finance, right? Let's go through that for a little bit. Things you need to do before the end of the year. Stay tuned. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Listen, sometimes we like ghosts at Christmas because they're memories, right? You get lost in a memory. You unpack an ornament, you know, you live history. You live, oh, I remember that, right? Um, but the ghosts of financial mistakes past, eh, not so friendly. So they aren't warm, they're not fuzzy, but they definitely can be your uninvited guests for a very long time. So I always think of December as a month for you to review sort of your financial history um, you get the goat out, you get the bad out, and then you put together a game plan to give an idea to how do I set forth on a better footing in 2024 or what financial disciplines, what am I looking to do? These are not resolutions. These are improvements, tweaks, things that you want to do. Um, and again, everybody makes them. Everybody makes financial mistakes. I don't care if you're the best financial advisor in the world who tries to do the right things. Yeah, everybody makes financial mistakes. The key is some people learn from them and adjust. And that's what I think it's good. You, it's a time for reflection. And you got to reflect on your financial habits, right? So first thing that I will give you some ideas to get you started. This is something I do. And I encourage younger people to do because with student loan debt and everybody to do. Calculate your own household debt-to-income ratio, right? It's math, but this is not difficult, right? 
So I do a couple of, we have our own financial guardrails at RIA. If you go up to uh, Real Investment Advice, type in financial guardrails at the top, you'll see them. So our, our rules are not easy. But your net worth will thank you and us. And I think that if you want to do this, the household debt to income ratio, what I do is I isolate a more, my mortgage out, my HOA, homeowner's insurance, and I divide that sum by my take-home income. So remember, first I want to do is I want to look at my total expenses, but I want to isolate my mortgage, anything that keeps the roof over my head, and I want to divide that by my income. My ratio right now is 6.6 right now. The standard rule in finance is a house payment shouldn't exceed 28% of pre-tax income, and that's a horrible rule. That is a sucky, terrible rule. It's worse than that climate change conference going on right now. Okay, It's horrible. It's, it's designed for you to push the boundaries on your cash flow and sell you more house than necessary. So throw it out. If you want financial flexibility, you, you, if you want cash to, for vulner, your vulnerability cushion. Now, I'm not suggesting that everybody could do 6.6. Our rule at RAA is a mortgage payment should not exceed 15% of your after-tax income. And I didn't, this number wasn't just, oh, I'm going to make a number up. This is by knowing, interviewing, talking to households over the last two decades about what they've done and then sharing it with you. Well, this is so, talking about successful households, right? Yes. Ones, ones that have done a very, very good job over time, right? So you're looking at 28%, your, your mortgage should be no more than 28% of your income. Your overall debt should be no more than 35%. Mm -hmm, that's the standard. We're yeah. in an environment where there's no way people are accomplishing that. No way. And But you gotta start they with They love awareness. it though. Yeah. I mean, well, I say they, I mean, big, Big corporations, right? Lenders love this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's why, like, if you, and again, I have a lot of people I know, friends, realtors, they're great. They want to help you. But they're but looking they'd at. they love for you to spend an extra $100,000 right, on that because house. Because, wait, you make that and you only want to buy a house for this? Because a house, to me, Lance talks about this, it's not an investment, it's an expense. It, it, I live there, well, you know, I got to pay. Right? It's an expense. Well, unless you're willing when to play the market, right? Play the game. Yeah. Lance is willing to play the game, unlike most people. Uh, yeah, I don't he know. He buys it at decent prices. He waits. Once it goes up, that guy hey, should babe, never. He should. We got to move. He should never unpack. He should just have a pod in his yard. I mean, I don't know. How I mean, I don't. I mean, it would drive me nuts. Well, I mean, yeah, we I, talked about it, right? Our homes appreciate. It's like, man, let's get out. Let's go. But where do you go? Number one, I mean, you got to went. You got to rent and wait. Um, and I'm. Just not in the. I don't have the time nor energy. To pack. Nor do I look at it as an investment. At right, the time I know being, you right? do. For right. kids, right. I mean, kids and their stability is probably more important than than me mm -hmm. uprooting them and taking them down the road, just to make a couple bucks. Agree, agree. So, but but I think to your point, Danny, I think it's where you start is an awareness, right? So, c calculating your debt to income ratios, breaking it up by what you need to do to keep a, a roof over your head, and I know it's very tough today. I know people that 
the mortgage payments make up 35 to 50% of their take home based on changes in their household. And that's not easy. House prices continue to go up. Mortgage rates are high. Um, I tell people when they want to move right now, I just say, wait. You okay with where you are? I have some people that have resigned to stay in their homes and do surgical minor renovations. In other words, there are certain renovations that you will do to your home that will not provide much of a return on income. Return on life, yes. Especially if you're going to stay in that house and you're going to age in place. But there are very surgical things you can do. There's a lot of, talk about technology and changes in the construction industry. I need, say you need a new bathroom, but you know, the guts are good, but you want to, you want to modernize. Well, you can just modernize the vanity and the cabinets. You don't have to do everything. You don't have to do everything. You do be very surgical with it and you wind up spending a lot less, but yet it'll change the whole look of everything around it, right? You don't have to gut and redo. You can say, okay, this, this vanity, this cabinet, this sink, this countertop, do it step by step. It makes a big difference. Live with the change and then move forward. Even clients that I know that can gut their whole house and put it all together again are doing it this way because they're smart with their money. Well, you may find deals. I mean, we've done that in rental properties. We've done it in our own home where, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you know our rule, generally speaking, when something's over a certain amount of dollars, we have the conversation, but we also wait. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk mm -hmm. about how many times you may think you need something right now and it's on sale. You've got to jump. You need to act. Right. But then if you step back for a moment, you wait a couple of days, wait a week. Now, you can't always with these sales. But if you do that, I find like 99% of the time I don't actually need it. Well, so, Danny, here's a good point. Here's an example. Had a client that wanted to do renovation to a kitchen okay. during the pandemic during the pandemic. And I said, don't do it. Don't do it yet. Cause everybody's in this whole thing. We're going to live in our homes forever. We're never going to leave. Right. Contractors are stressed. Supplies are short. And she got a quote uh, for her kitchen of like $60,000. So I said, get a quote, let's say 60 to $75,000. And I went, what the, well, okay. She's having it done today. Like I don't mean like literally today, but this, this within this yeah. month or two. Do you know how much it's going to cost her? Half. 32. Wow. Just by waiting. She goes, that was the best advice you've get out of everything you've given me. And you give me some great advice. You telling me to take a step back and don't go with the crowd and everybody's getting renovations and home office and don't do anything. So sometimes to your point, the waiting is can add do substantial dollars to your par pocket. You know, delayed gratification, waiting, picking your time. She wasn't in a hurry. Wasn't that a Tom Petty song? Waiting is the hardest part. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about that. He was on to something. There's a Homer Simpson episode of Simpsons with that, and I won't talk about it on the radio, <laughs> but it's pretty funny. Um <laughs> So then what I do is I take step two in this household debt to income ratio. Then I want to look at the variable and specific fixed expenses. I want to look at entertainment. I want to look at groceries. I want to look at clothing, costs for utilities, car insurance. The general is 30% of after-tax income for wants. Ob obviously, auto insurance is a need. Um, 
but you could shop around. But to, so keep this in mind. This is a tougher calculation because of what's gone on with inflation. Groceries, utilities, insurance, right, Danny? We talk about how insurance prices, home, auto, property, casualty, all these are up quite a bit. These don't go backwards. Taxes, these do not deflate. But currently, my variable expenses have been about what they've always been, around 9 10% of monthly after-tax household income. I figured that without the inflation that we're facing, I probably would have been down to like 6 And again, I don't have young children, so I don't have those come things that you would as a child, you know, as having children in your home anymore. I miss my little Haley, though. Um, so as a growing family, you want to create your own rule. But at RAA, we believe those variable monthly expenses shouldn't exceed 20% of after-tax income. So if you, you, you crunch the numbers, if you're disappointed by the results, you schedule a meeting with your financial professional in January, you go through an action plan for an improvement, you make little steps to get you where you want to go. We're going to cover the next two and uh, just some sentences from this uh, great magazine, which I'm keeping for Mike. When we get back, stay tuned. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So join our YouTube channel. We got a bunch of feisty, feisty fire feisties. On our YouTube, follow us on YouTube, like our show, listen to the show later on as a podcast. Now, when you're driving home, because Flan says all this finance, uh, personal finance stuff is boring, and we don't want you to fall asleep. <laughs> so the matter of the order says, Emp- empower personal capital does all this for you. No, it doesn't. And let me explain, 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 Lucy, what I mean. Well, well, but hang on, it, it does. It does. It does it for you. Right, and and it can be a great tool, but we're using the numbers that essentially that the old school numbers that have been there for decades that may not be in your best benefit. So I'm saying they don't do it because it's it's garbage in, garbage out, right? And also, you're not using pen and paper, using technology. There's a distance. There's a veil between your psychology and your emotions and that computer that make you not feel these, the power of what you just did. But these calculators are going to use standard rules. Our rules aren't standard. Our rules are tough. Our rules are better. That's just the way it is. If you want to build long-term significant wealth, these are rules from financial families that have done this. But the, these are not CEOs of major corporations. These are not people that are getting stock options every day and eating 
steaks while you're eating ladybugs in the yard. These are different. So our rules are in the trenches. And I do believe you need to pull all your data and do it yourself. If you can reset the rules in personal capital where you can actually place your own rules in there, then okay. Because even when we do financial planning, we don't just pull a program out of a box and use it. We go in and adjust the inputs based on our analysis of future returns on asset classes, inflation, which we've been right on, right on the money when it comes to our financial plans. So just keep that in mind. You know who says to use Empower Capital for that? Janet Yellen. She goes, you use that. I use it all the time. So I blame you, JP and Kathy. That's why I did it. Mm-hmm. Well, I did it. No, it, it, but, but here's the thing, too. Not to be harsh. I'm just saying is you can do. I give you credit for using something to at least be aware of it. Fine tune it. But who can achieve 15%? Most people cannot. Right. I mean, you're, you're, you'd look at the landscape of what people are dealing with this economic environment, with the higher inflation, My with daughter credit that. card debt, with all of these things. Who can actually meet those parameters? My daughter says that. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I guess you won't be buying a house anytime soon. Well, <laughs> you'll be saving money. So that's what she's doing. But most people probably can't even meet I, I, the 28 percent, the 35 percent. The way it is now. Yeah, correct. I agree. OK, so what happens? Do you think that the industry says, oh, we're going to change the rule from 28% to 33, 35? Is that going to be our new rule? Are they going to keep? Usually, yes, but no, I don't think so. Okay. Well, because think about all the debt that's out there right now. We just had credit card debt at $1.08 trillion. Mm -hmm. We've got delinquencies mm -hmm. that have just skyrocketed. Um, you know, we looked at PCE wasn't nearly as hot as what people expected. We're not going to hit that 3.7% target year over year. It's right. going to be less than that. Um they just revised down personal income and spending for September. So I, I don't know. I think it's going to be tough. Yeah. You know, the whole housing affordability is the worst I've ever seen. It. Over 20 years. Yeah. Worst so I've so ever how seen does it. somebody meet this? They're not going to be able to do this. The maybe, you know, where you're finally seeing rents come down. I mean, you're going to be able to mm -hmm. go rent. But if you want to go buy a home right now, it's just not in the cards. It's not. I, I mean, I pretty much said to my daughter, first, she doesn't even know where she's going to wind up. But I said, no, you just can't. Um, now, there are some creative ways people are doing this. I have a client that their daughter moved back home, but they did build her on their property a small home. And she, they built it, and they would like to use it for guests and so forth when she, when she goes. But she's using that as her place to build cash for a down payment because she has enough money. She makes a good, she has a good enough job to eventually have the savings and hit the rule. And the parents were going to do this anyway. In other words, sometimes you got to think outside the box, Danny, and I'm not saying that's easy by, all, by any stretch. Um, a lot of Gen Zs and so forth, looking at much smaller homes, look at what home builders are building. They're building 1,200, 1,300. Yeah. You know, and I think that, and I wrote this in my book in 2012. Tiny homes are going to be the next big thing. And it's taken a while, but I think younger people are also finding the benefit of going smaller. They don't want a lot of stuff anyway. So maybe that's the way to do it. So again, it'll get creative. We'll think of ways to do it. Rates will come down, although I don't think they're going to go back to where they were as far as mortgage rates, but they will fall. Um, 
housing inventory, people are sitting on their homes right now and not moving, but eventually that will open up. And I don't know what the magic rate is. I actually, you know, Danny, I've seen that start to happen now. Like maybe people are just resigned to the fact that I waited long enough and maybe rates aren't ever going down again. Maybe there are some people waving the white flag. That's the first leg because yeah. I'm seeing a lot more housing inventory the way I track it. And I'm thinking people like, you know, gosh, I've waited how long already? This is never going to change. And that's recency bias, right? Whatever you're experiencing now is going to continue in perpetuity. So I don't know. We'll see. But the most important part is you create rules for your household and you follow them, right? Next one is you're going to communicate about money, especially mistakes with loved ones. It's a good time to have those conversations. People, you know, it's downtime. I was telling, I was telling uh, Brent, the last two days driving in here in the morning, Today I was driving, I'm like, I'm looking around, I'm like, I'm the only car on the road. <laughs> like, I haven't seen it so quiet. Um, children especially to have these conversations. There is a website, Money Confident Kids, T. Rowe Price does a really good job putting together a lot of great data to help your kids make, uh, or you would have conversations with your children about money. So they did a survey and it said, parents who have three or more types of savings are more likely to have kids who discuss money with them and less likely to have kids who spend money as soon as they get it. What is it, the money script, Danny? Your parents have good money habits and are open about them. The children, generally speaking, have that too. Haven't you noticed that? Say with your kids and also yeah. parents that are open with their children. I about think so. I mean, the, the more you communicate, the better, the better off that these children are. They learn at an earlier age. Um, sometimes I'm afraid I'm gonna do the opposite with my children, just in the sense that, you know, they're all different. And we've talked about this, how each one is different. You, you talked about how you used to give Haley, like give her five bucks to go in the, in the gas station if you're on a trip. Yes. Just to see what she'd come out with. Yeah. Mine would all be so different. I'd have one who's hoarding the money for something much, much larger. I'd have the other one who would save it. And the other one would buy nothing but candy and spend every last penny and probably take the penny out of the little jar at the register but, to but, pay for the rest. But that $5 test is so good. Yeah. I think using it at Bucky's gives you real, because then well, everybody. At Bucky's, they couldn't buy anything for five bucks. Well, there's a lot of candy and. Oh, I'd have to give them like 20 bucks. <laughs> we'll keep them out of Bucky's. But, but to your point, the five bucks, like the example is even if you use 10 is see what your kid does with the money when you say, hey, Go in there and buy what you want. We're going on this trip. And I used to press her to do that. And she'd come out with like always with at least $2, $3 back. She's always yeah. been pretty balanced with money. You know, it does give you a, a hint of how your kids operate with cash. Are you, are you seeing anything that really surprises you? Because I know people like I know you and Michelle are really good with money. And I know a lot of parents are really good at money, but there's always that one child that does the, the, the money's hot in their hands. They'll spend it as soon as they get it. No, you know, actually, they're all pretty good with it. I mean, I have one who's probably our best saver, but he's also willing to spend. Okay. And he's willing to spend like at the ballpark, like, hey, man, you want to go get a candy bar? So he's picking his points. Yeah. What drives right. me nuts is I'd be like, how much money do you have today? <laughs> and he'd be like, I don't know. I got a bunch of money in my safe. I'm like, he's <laughs> safe. Yeah. You know, Your kid it, the, has the one, a safe? He has a little one. It was my, my uncle's that, you know, he can't remember the code to it half the time. 
And, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking a lot of money. Like, I think he should probably have way more than what he has. And, and this is money that he can keep and do things with what he wants, right? Why don't you create uh, a whole series of rat lift safes for children? Yeah. Ooh. It'll be a safe that you can put money in, but you can't get it out. Yeah. In other words, you know, you're going to have to put in what you need it for. Like, you'll make it like AI. What do you need the money for? I want to buy a G.I. Joe. Bank closed. <laughs> See you tomorrow. You know, I mean, that would... You could put a time a timer lock on it so it won't open until they turn 18 or 20. Yeah. Yeah, but I think you having this AI dynamic in there would be helpful. Danny, we're on to something new here. We're on to something really pretty good. The oh, man. I like this. I want to buy my mom a Christmas gift. Door open. <laughs> yeah. So, so Peter on the YouTube channel just yeah. mentioned said, focus should not be on money. It should be on core values. If you are consumed that's, by pride, greed, and envy, you'll get what you deserve. And that's, that's great. Absolutely right. You that's know, great. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, you talk about the, uh, the moon jars. Yes. You know, yeah. and it's, it's save, spend, share. Yeah. And, and so it's to teach children at a young age. And to tell you how cheap we are, we, <laughs> Michelle, we, we, we looked at these years and years ago, and she decided she's going to create these out of, you know, you could do them toilet out of tissue boxes, rolls. toilet paper rolls. You oh could do your God. own and be pretty creative. You know, if you make your own, that's fun. Yeah. 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 And the kids get in, engaged and involved in it. Yeah. But you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. It is. What money's a means, right, to, to different things. What it are your values? You. And that's a really good way to look at it. You got to dig deep. It's money script. Yep. Well, hey, thanks, everybody. We enjoy you being with you today. We're hoping Lance is recovering and he'll be back on Monday. Take care. Appreciate you.